Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview-style podcast. Those interviews are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to competitive teams, racers, rock crawlers, business owners, employees, media and private park owners, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active and off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world we live and love and call off-road. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Have you seen Four Low Magazine yet? Four Low Magazine is a high-quality, well-written, four-wheel drive-focused magazine for the enthusiast market. If you still love the idea of a printed magazine, something to save and read at any time, Four Low is the magazine for you. Four Low cannot be found in stores, but you can have it delivered to your home or place of business. Visit fourlowmagazine.com to order your subscription today. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Brian Ellinger. Brian is a Toyota guy, a business owner, ex-rock crawling competitor. He uh, runs Front Range Off-Road, Diamond Axle, and uh, is currently residing in Colorado. Brian, thank you very much for coming on board and talking with us. Thank you very much, Rich. So let's jump right in. Um, where were you born and raised? Uh, Bay Area of California, actually. Okay, and you said, uh, let everybody know that uh, I, I screwed up and forgot to hit the uh, recording button. So a little bit of this, Brian and I have already talked about, so I'll lead him on to get the answers that I had the first time. And you grew up between, in the San Francisco Bay Area, between um, San Jose and San Francisco, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, a bit more south towards the San Jose area, but yeah, right in there. Okay, and that area is urban. Um, I wouldn't call it rural. But it's not, you know, a heavy city either. San Jose and San Francisco would be that. And you, uh, the schooling, what school did you go to? High school? Uh, the high school was Gun High School, actually. Oh, I remember swimming against Gun. Very, <laughs> very, very good pool facility. Oh, gotcha. And some really good swimmers came out of there. Anyway, so what kind of uh, student were you? Were you, uh, and did you do a lot of electives or sports or, you know, band or anything like that? No, not really. I was really a student that wanted to get out of school. Um, wanted to do other things. The uh, the typical reading, writing, arithmetic grind of of high school was not uh, not my forte. I could do them. Um, I'd do test wells, but the uh, or testing well, but the. Um, you know, the monotonous homework piece of the puzzle was uh, certainly a tripping point. And as you were growing up, what kind of uh, interests did you have? Uh, really, I would say outdoor stuff, things with your hands, you know, um, you know, 
took wood shop in school and then got into machining classes uh, into the uh, the community college there. Aside from that, as far as school related stuff, you know, a little bit of cross country. Uh, I think maybe the first semester of high school at most. Um, other than that, no, no, no team sports or anything like that. And uh, you weren't a partier. Definitely not. I was. I was I'm not the uh, social butterfly in the family. Okay. So you, you weren't hanging out in like, like our high school, we had an area called Marlboro country. You know, that's where all oh, the, okay. the smokers and stoners hung out, you know, and then we had like senior rail and it, just off of the senior rail around the rally court was, you know, the, uh, you know, you'd find more of the, the jocks hanging out there. Was there, gotcha. was there spots like that in your school at gun? There were, um, Gosh, it's been a minute, so I'd, I'd have to even think about it. It's, I had a uh, not normal high school situation, so I only attended the actual high school for about a year and a half. Okay. Um, so, and then was able to get into a a program that was just launching. I think it was the first year that they did it. Um, and so I actually went to the local community college for the next year and a half and graduated early um, because I was taking college classes, which which uh, qualified for more credits, more high school credits. So for, if, for example, you'd take a semester of college, it would qualify for say a year of high school. Okay, cool. So, and that was more of like the, in the trades? That was a bit more in the trades. It was also just checking off your, your general stuff, you know, your, your history and English kind of thing on the high school level as well. Um, so, but being more concentrated classes, you know, they're, they're harder, they run faster. Of course, we all know that. Um, but I was able to jump into stuff that I wanted to more be doing, which was the machining end of things at the, at the college there. And what got you into the, into that kind of, uh, interest? Um, really was shooting for uh, an engineering, you know, degree at the time. Um, and really just wanting to understand and, and how to make things. Um, my father did a, a bit of woodworking, so I had my head wrapped around how that worked, um, and, and how to make a lot of stuff with wood. But of course, wood does things, metal doesn't, you know, like warp when it gets wet and things like this. And, right. and well, gosh, I want to play with metal because it doesn't, it doesn't do these kind of things. You, know, you just have to worry about it rusting. So yeah, that's, that's really what drove me towards the metal side of things. Okay. And, and interests um, outside of school when you were uh, growing up, what kind of things did you do to occupy your time? A um, lot of cycling. Uh, mountain biking and road biking. I put a lot of miles on on two wheels. That's cool. And yeah, as a family, did you guys do camping or go to the lake, fishing, anything like that? I did. Um, I was in Boy Scouts um, and got my Eagle Scout. Um, and the the troop I was in did uh, was mainly focused on backpacking. Um, so the camping that we did. Um, even as a, as a kid before then was, was fairly lean on, on what we'd bring. Um, but doing that stuff was really much leaner. You know, you got to carry everything. So you just don't, 
you know, you don't bring things like tables. <laughs> you know, right. It's just not a, not a reality at all. So, well, congratulations on the Eagle Scout. I'm, I'm one as well. Oh, okay. So then did you get to Camp La Honda or any of those places in the, uh, the, the Redwood coastal Redwood area there, or was most of your time more in the Sierras? Uh, definitely. I want to say La Honda was in there. I'm trying to remember some of the names of stuff. Um, I know I got up to last national park, which I'd like to get back there again. Um, spent some time in, uh, desolation wilderness, which is actually fairly close to the Rubicon. I yep. think it actually borders it or crosses it. Um, but you'd never know it. <laughs> so that's kind of a good thing. Um, the, so we definitely a bit in the Sierras and then, you know, we did a lot of trips that were, you know, one and two nights. So they, sometimes that would have been in the, uh, you know, the foothills, not necessarily up into the Sierras. Right. Okay. And going through the, the trade classes, um, what kind of, uh, you said you did some wood shop and you did some metal, um, fabrication. Was it like machine shop or was it a, a, a real, a real, um, fabrication type? Uh, the machining stuff was definitely, um, well, the machining end of things. So we started with the, you know, your real basic manual stuff, you know, down to, uh, you know, sharpening drill bits, using a drill press, you know, things like that, you know, is your real intro things. Um, and a lot of, of course, speeds and feeds and how to use cutters, and which direction you're spinning things and that kind of stuff. Um, and that, of course, worked into your manual mills and lathes. And then pretty rapidly into the, the CNC world. Um, so not initially right on, not, uh, not any in the, in the welding world, but, uh, or what I would consider fabrication, but definitely on the machining end of things. Okay. And you're, uh, it's your brother, Scott, correct? Yes, sir. And is he older or younger? He is two years older. Two years old. And you guys had the same, pretty much similar interests? Fairly similar, I would say. Um, he didn't get into the machining end of things. Um, went through high school as a normal high school thing. Um, I don't think he's taken any machining classes. I don't. Okay. He may have, but yeah. And how did you go from California, especially the Bay Area, to the Front Range of Colorado? Uh, really quite honestly, to some extent was, was fleeing California. Um, you know, while that area is not, uh, not necessarily a concrete jungle, you know, it's not, it's not LA, it's not San Francisco. Um, it's not New York city. Right. But it's, it's a lot of people. There's a lot there. There's a lot going on. There's a, there's a certain speed of life. There's a, to me always felt like a, a decent amount of keeping up with the Joneses kind of thing. Um, you know, and really didn't want that. I, I'm a much more simpler person that the best I can explain it is the backpacking mentality works with my brain. Um, so having a lot of things and the new thing and the new shiny thing and, and, the new trinket that that kind of stuff doesn't interest me at all. Um, and Colorado piqued my interest in terms of, Hey, I think this kind of, 
kind of gets me away from a lot of that um, and that lifestyle that that surrounding. So that's uh, that was really the draw for Colorado and had the excuse of going to college in Colorado. So okay, I was going <laughs> to say what was the, it out. <laughs> what was the what was the reason for the move? So which college did you go to in Colorado? I uh, went to Colorado State in Fort Collins. Okay. And you are close to that area still, aren't you? I am. Uh, I live in the, and the business is actually in Loveland, which is the town just south. So, okay. gosh, maybe 20 minutes from that college. There's a lot of, lot of businesses on that front range. Um, it, 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 at least it appears to me um, because of the people that I know. So, it's uh that's interesting and most of them are toyota or suzuki focused there's a bit um you know i see them come and go and uh some stick around longer than others but uh this this area certainly has has grown and changed a lot over the last well 20 some years that i've been here now right. um so it uh it certainly has a, has added a lot of population to the area. Right. So you're you're looking elsewhere now. Is it no, getting too I'm, crowded I'm still, for you? I'm still content where I am, but the the possibility of uh, <laughs> of at some point, you know, moving from here to somewhere else is uh, is on the radar. But I haven't found anywhere else that sounds better to me. Okay. Um, and certainly not somewhere else that you can really run a businesses that need to be shipping parts out, you know. Right. Okay, that's a big consideration. True. Cuz if you're up at the end of some dirt road, you know, 10 miles out in a in the, in the forest somewhere, it's going to oh, be yeah. pretty hard shipping. Yeah, and I was I was thinking on the lines of things like Alaska. <laughs> like, you can ship from there, but no one's going to want to pay it. So True. <laughs> True. That doesn't uh doesn't make that work. So Let's talk about vehicles. Um, you mentioned that uh, you did a lot of bicycle riding, uh, mountain bike and road bike. Was that yeah. uh, that obviously was probably your first modes mode of transportation? Yeah, I, I'd say I got into cycling when I was probably maybe twelve. Okay, and then what was the first car? That you got to drive. Oh, that I got to drive. Yes. Uh, man, I'm not sure on that one. Probably a Ford Sable station wagon that would have been a company car for my father. That's classic. That really is. <laughs> and tell me it was that that Ford Gold, Ford or Mercury Gold, right? Oh God! You know they he had a couple because they they'd give him another one every few years. Okay, know? but I think there was a gold one. I know there was a maroon one. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So then, <laughs> when you got the chance to uh, to get your own vehicle, what was the first vehicle that you owned? Uh, effectively, it was an '85 Toyota pickup, actually. And about how old were you? I would have been 18. Okay. That explains a lot then. Right. <laughs> so, so, so yeah. then at that point, did you, uh, 
Did you have grand plans when you bought the Toyota to to turn it into something else, or was it was it just convenience? Um, had a bit of of plans. Um, you know, Scott had had a, a Toyota truck at that point already, so he he could kind of tell me, hey, you know, here's here's something you'd be looking for. You know, get a straight axle and get fuel injection, and here you go, kind of thing. Um, and from at that point, it was you know great. I don't have a a stupid uh, station wagon like my parents. I have a truck. You know, this is this is a real vehicle, not just a you know sedan with a back end. And um, then things just kind of progressed. Really, you know, you you get into learning about the truck, and and of course you're reading the magazines and all that kind of stuff at the time. And found that there was just a, a lack of availability. I mean, parts that that you could do for other vehicles. You, nobody was making for those trucks. I mean, there there was nothing. There was no crossover steering for it. It didn't exist. I mean, you had uh, shoot. When I bought that truck, you had Downey and Northwest Off Road were the, I think, the only two Toyota pickup companies. You know, you had a, a Land Cruiser company and a, a couple here and there, but pickup stuff, nothing. So then. How long after you bought the truck did you start uh did you start messing with it, taking it apart or you know, changing changing things out, designing your um, own stuff? Sure. Uh I would have rebuilt the motor probably within a couple of months because you asked the guy, Hey, does it burn any oil? Oh no. You know, it drank oil. So <laughs> it needed an engine. <laughs> but uh gosh, I was probably designing parts for the thing. I would say within a year. Um, but at that point I'd already been taking machining classes. I already had a, a degree in, in tool and die making. So, um, you know, you're, you're forging dies, you're casting molds, that kind of thing. That's, that's what I went to school for. Um, so the, the understanding of how to make the stuff was already, I already had, um, and I was, would have been working for a company actually building, uh, microscopes um, at the time. So, you know, precision and all that was, you know, something we were well within. Um, so it just kind of got to, Hey, you know, I, I kind of want a thing that would do this. I kind of want a shifter. I kind of want, you know, a transfer case mount. How do I, how do I design this? How do I make it? What do I do? And well, then things just sort of progressed, I guess. So if you're, if you're working, say, for a microscope company, every all the machinery and everything for something like that is going to be probably pretty small. Where did you come across the stuff to build, you know, to start building the stuff you were designing for vehicles? Sure. Uh, the the stuff actually for the, the uh, microscope company was actually pretty big stuff. Um, okay. they had a, a few small things, but they had a couple of big, uh, horizontal machines, um, with multiple tombstones. If you're familiar with that kind of stuff, um, they weren't running it hard cause they're doing a lot with aluminum and things like that. But, uh, definitely they were trying to keep the precision. And so the, a big machine gets you the rigidity that gets you the, the, the repeatability basically. Okay. Um, I do so. not know anything about machining my dad was a model maker tool and die maker graduate you know left the government 38 years in the business um doing 
you know, I mean, he worked in the prosthetics lab was the last place he was at. He was San Francisco mid, all that. But I just kind of ignored that, except that he had a really great collection of tools. <laughs> sure. So explain to me what a tombstone is. Uh, so a tombstone is a basically a uh, a tall, not cube, but rectangular. So it would be um, the ones that they had were probably around two feet tall. And then they're a four-sided uh, unit. So it would be, say, 12 inches on each side. So you've got a 12 by 12 square that's now you know two feet tall. Um, you'll have four of those. So four tombstones on one turret, and you'd have two turrets is how a lot of the horizontal mills are set up. And what it means is if you think of a, a drill press and a vice, right, you're working vertically and you've got one vice. Well, now if you take and you mount a vice to each of the sides of this tombstone, you've now got 16 vices on each turret and you tip your conceptually you tip your drill press over on its side so your spindle's running horizontally like you would on a lathe and the machine will actually run you know one part on one side of one of those tombstones turn it and run the exact same program again um, on the next one so what happens is you each time this whole turret exchanges you spit 16 parts into the into the mill it closes its door coolant goes everywhere and off to the race as you go while that's the machining's happening you're sitting there outside of the machine and you can change all the parts out so it, it's a much more of a, a higher production kind of setup than your uh, kind of your more traditional vertical mills which are going to be more like a drill press with a x and y table on them if you will right the old what my dad used to call bridgeport stuff Yes, exactly. Yeah, Bridgeports are, of course, built in Bridgeport, ironically. And uh, but yeah, probably the best known, um, you know, manual machine mills in the U.S. Um, and you can get them. You know, most people have been around. You know, your father, I'm sure, would have used manual ones. I used manual ones, and you can get, you know, everything up to three axis on those machines. So, right. Yeah, he did it. I could never understand why he stayed with the government. But I think he was the whole idea of going to, you know, the machines that you program, programmable stuff, was was outside of his realm. Um, you know, he could make anything with, you know, the the old manual equipment. But to do something like what you're talking about, you know, and you plug the program in, you know, write the program, all that kind of stuff, and then have it all done. I think he just didn't want to have to deal with learning that aspect of it. Oh, sure. Yeah. And manual machines certainly do have their place, you know, for, for quick one-off stuff for prototypes, for, you know, facing something off, you know, we use a, a manual lathe here all the time, um, you know, for, for even silly things like, Hey, we, we broke a gear set. Well, is the carrier still good? I don't know. Chuck the ARB up in the lathe and run an indicator on the, the mounting face for your ring gear. Hey, cool. It's, it's only 2000 out. We're, we're good to go, but you put it in and you say, gosh, it's 15,000 out. There's not really a way to check that easily without that kind of equipment. So right. okay. it's, it's certainly really handy. Okay. Makes sense. 
So then let's get into that transition from building your own stuff for your own rig and working, you know, for somebody else to, you know, that, how did that process go into then becoming a business owner? How long did it take? What kind of steps did you make? Um, really happened fairly quickly within, I guess, probably two years. Um, maybe three. I'm trying to even remember. <laughs> it happened quick and it was a long time ago. So right. It's hard to put it together. But um, yeah, it really came that I uh, was making some stuff, you know, the, the shifter that we do, the transfer case mount, the full float kit that we do, you know, some were. Some of those were, in fact, those three specifically were the the first couple of products we started doing. Um, and really, it just kind of evolved. Um, and that was the people you meet. Um, you know, you'd run into people on the trail. You, you know, you go to the four-wheel drive club, you know, that kind of thing. And, and people are, you know, obviously checking out, hey, what do you have? You know, what do you have? And the Toyota guys, you know, oh yeah, I, I built this. And it's like, you built that, you know, like, well, can I get one? And, and it was like, well, I, you know, I guess I could make more and uh, started realizing, gosh, there's, there's demand for this. There's interest for this. I never looked at this from a business standpoint. I just wanted to make myself a cool widget, you know? And uh, so fairly quickly had demand on that um, and then had a friend that could whip up a real basic website and you know add some time in there and suddenly say gosh i'm i'm working all the time because i'm either at my job or i'm working on my own stuff i'm working on products and and uh, got to the point that anybody who starts a business i think hits is well i can do one or the other and uh, the decision was really um quite simple um it was either you know, I can, I can shut this business thing down and, and have a normal life and do this neat thing called sleep and have vacations, <laughs> and, you know, maybe have a, have a Sunday off here or there, <clears throat> you know, or I can uh, go for it and throw all the eggs in one basket and say, let's give this business thing a shot. And quite honestly, I just looked at it and said, well, you know, I, I don't want to come back and look at this in five years or two years or 10 years and say, man, what, what would life be like if I'd have just given it a shot? You know, I was in my early twenties, you know, you're bulletproof when you're 22, 23 years old. Oh, absolutely. You know, and quite honestly, what better time to take a, take a plunge like that, right? You've got plenty of time to recover. You know, you go broke and you, you know, you got no money in six months. Well, okay. I guess it's time to go get a job again. You know, And, uh, so that was, that was really the, let's go for it. And, uh, you know, see what happens, you know, can, can I actually make this into a full-time gig? Cause I mean, that, that was predating any kind of rock crawling competition stuff. Um, at least as far as I know, I, I shoot, I, uh, you'd have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I do not believe we rock was around. Um, I, I know I went to an ARCA event, which when it was ARCA, um, and that was, gosh, I'm trying to think when that would have been 2001, maybe right. 2000, somewhere in, in there. 2001 was the first Cal Rocks event that I put on. 
because I started okay. Cal Rocks, and then we changed the name to We Rock in 2005. But Arca okay. started in 98, 99. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I know. I guess they got in some trouble with the name. They had to change it to something. And uh, honestly, I used to remember where where the people that, that ran that one all ended up and what it changed into. But <laughs> that was, I don't know that anybody cares anymore, I guess. Yeah, that would be Ranch Pratt that started ARCA. Okay. And, okay. Uh, That's what I was thinking, but I didn't want to. Yeah, you know. no. He, I still talk to him least once or oh, twice okay. a year and so ranch started arca at the same time i started cow rocks craig stump started u-rock and then craig took on some partners the Pades. then ranch got out of arca and went with super with the the super crawl slash um u-rock and right yeah there was up, kind of emerging there yeah yeah he ended up at the end with that um Craig uh, kind of retired from the rock crawling scene and then started the the old school rock crawling Delta. Right. And then when he quit that, I took over that event and we called it we called it the Delta Classic. Oh, there so, you go. So that's that's kind of the timeline. And of course, then there was uh, Pro Rock out there for a while. Right. Yeah. 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 And so. You're you're you get a website built. You got some product on there. You're running around through the bulletin boards, doing your your marketing. Is that correct? Yeah, a little bit. It, the stuff kind of marketed itself to some extent um, because there, and for a lot of the stuff that we still do, there there isn't anybody that that's competition for it. Um, you know, we've had you know, some, some little flyby nights that have popped up here and there that have knocked off things over the years. And, but they tend to fizzle and die in about a year or two, you know, you, you can't grow a business stealing stuff. So that, um, that tends to, to kill them off themselves. Right. But once uh, people realize that they're, that they're copied, they're copied and not the original. Yeah. Well, they, they come in with typical, typical setup with that. Um, you know, they, they see something, they say, oh, I can make it for cheaper. They make them and, you know, maybe they make 10 or 20, um, something like that. And they're selling them and then they, they get some demand cause they're cheap, right? You know, something that we do for 700 bucks, they do for 400 and then they start getting demand and then they start realizing, wait a minute, this, this doesn't pay me anything. I'm losing money doing this and they fizzle out, you know? I, I think I've seen it happen with about every single one of the products that we sell at this point. Right. <laughs> Somebody has or has tried to knock them off over the years. And, you know, it's just, there's, it's not like this is a huge markup kind of stuff. You're not, uh, you know, rolling around in Lamborghinis because you're making rock crawler parts, you know? <laughs> so. <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah. So it's just not how that works. But you uh, needed you needed to be rolling around in off road and building stuff for Lamborghinis. Yeah, that yeah, now that you mention it, that that would be the way to do it. 
gosh, the entry point's going to be a little steep on that one. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) A tiny, tiny market. (laughs) Yes, but one that's well-funded. True, true. So what kind of uh, your first three products you said was a shifter and what were the others? Oh, we do a, did and still do a, a full float kit for the Toyota trucks. Um, and we've, we've added, you know, different versions and year ranges that we cover on those from, you know, the 79 stuff all the way up through, I guess we sort of stop it in 04, but we do axle housings, of course, and then we can do, yeah, I mean, the sky's the limit at that point. We've got more options than I can, than I've even tried to, to count, um, with so that. Those Toyota housings are like a nine inch housing where it's a drop in third member, correct? It is, yeah. So we do, I think it's 10 different center sections that we do at this point. Um, and there's, of course, the, a nine inch one um, in that mix, but the rest are Toyota centers. Okay. I didn't realize that you did a nine. Hmm. We do. Yeah. We've done, um, in fact, your son ended up with a couple of them. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Little had a couple at one point. Um, we did a couple for uh, Jim over at JE Real. Um, trying to think who else had nines that you would know offhand. Uh, well, so when I was competing in, of course, We Rock, um, and it was Dave's car. When I was driving that car, it had Toyota axles. A uh, year. Later, I think it was, maybe it was two years, but I think it was one year later, uh, we did a set of nines with 60 outers for that car. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah. So you've seen them around. Yes, absolutely. So then what other, uh, what other products are hot for you? Oh, gosh, about everything. Uh, we kind of did a little bit of house cleaning here Ironically, we seem to make business changes about the time that the world changes. So we stopped doing resale products about the time that the uh, the whole housing market collapsed in 08, 09 era. And we decided to to do a little of our own parts cleansing uh, in about, uh, gosh, would have been roughly November or so of 2019, right before the little uh, COVID thing happened. Um and so with that, we, uh, we took an ax to the product line and we dropped things like they were going out of style. If it was stuff that, you know, you sell three a year, you know, so we had a full float kit, for instance, for like the FJ forties and FJ sixties. Um, and they just real slow movers. And we said, cool, well, what's on the shelf is on the shelf. And when they're sold, they're off the website. Um, so we've only kept the things that, uh, that people actually really want. Um, and that was kind of a twofold decision. Um, one, it, it let the business concentrate on, um, you know, being able to have products in stock and that kind of thing so that people can get it faster. And of course we're concentrating on the product that people want. So it's a win for us and it's a win for the customer. And how many SKUs would you say you have approximately? A couple hundred. Yeah. That's good. And where all the manufacturing, you do all the manufacturing yourself? Uh, we don't. We do a, a good amount of it. Uh, most of the machining is done in-house. Um, you know, laser cutting, we still outsource that. Um, most of the, the press break forming stuff, we outsource. Um, the welding is mostly handled in-house. 
And how many employees do you have? Uh, I know of one because I heard him as you were, as we were starting all this. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. He was setting some, uh, some spindles that uh, we've got to be extra, extra silly careful with. Um, so there's just a few of us. Um, we've got, we've got onsite and offsite. So I would say we're about five people plus myself. Okay. And what's an offsite employee? Um, so like we've got someone that works on the website at this point, but, um, I never see them face to face. Right. Okay. I get it. Yeah. And, uh, what are the, what are your plans for the future? Are you, you sticking with your, your product line a, um, year wise? So up to that 2004 or so you said 2000, mid 2000s vehicles, or are you going to step into the, the independent suspension vehicles? Oh, gotcha. Um, yeah, no, we've actually got stuff at this point. Um, we actually just released an axle, what, two months ago, maybe that, uh, is a drop in for upgrading the Tacoma rear axles. And that's all the way through current model stuff. Um, so yeah, while the, the full float kit we were talking kind of stops it at that era. And that's because of the, the wheel speed sensor stuff that shows up in, in your newer than Oh four stuff. Um, but post that, um, yeah, we definitely have stuff that, that fits a lot of the newer things. Um, and we played with the independent, um, built a suspension actually for, uh, the 96 to 04 era, you know, trucks and forerunners. And, uh, while we were real happy with that, it, it kind of took us a little bit in a different direction. Um, so we ended up pulling back from that and that, that product, and the, the pieces that surrounded it basically kind of just got shelved and set on the side. And we said, you know, this, this might not be the, the direction we're looking to go. This, this is kind of spreading us out a little bit more than we want to really, you know, we, um, so we, we kind of let that one sit, sit on the side, I guess you could say, but definitely going towards, you know, the products that we see there that you've got strong demand for that, that people are knocking down the door and saying, Hey, we, we really want this. It's like, well, how many people are looking for a long travel kit and, and all this for, you know, 20 year old trucks, even newer stuff. It's still smaller niche stuff. So we are heading towards more of the, um, more general, more, um, larger customer base, larger demand stuff is what we're trying to hit. Well, that makes sense. I mean, you know, if you if you let yourself get too niche, eventually that niche, you know, swallows you up. I mean, there's nothing left. Yeah, you can flood the market pretty quick, but it it just becomes a smaller and smaller piece of the puzzle. Um, you know, the, like the long travel stuff we were looking at, we had a bigger diff to go in there and everything else. And, and by the time you're done, you know, you're you're dropping ten grand into the truck. You know, we, we figured you were a strong seven into that front end. Um, and that gets you the front end. So you still got the rear to do just to have a suspension. That's going to kind of keep up, you know, and, and tens being conservative and said, gosh, you know, I, I mean, people do that and that's not an insane amount of money, but it's still a decent chunk of money. And our, our customers are anywhere from, 
you know, a, a retired guy pulling a truck behind a motorhome to an 18 year old kid. And, you know, long travel stuff is, is becoming more common, but it, uh, it's still a somewhat small market in there and said, you know, let's, let's maybe just stick a bit more to what we really want to do, what we're known for, what we're really good at. Um, and so that, that truck actually sold a little bit ago to a real good friend of mine. Oh, okay. So let's talk about those days competing. How did sure. that all, how did that all come about? What was it all of a sudden you like went to an event and said, okay, I got to go try this. No, that was actually kind of a weird one. Um, that was, um, I'd always wanted to, um, I'd looked at doing competing, um, since going to that first ARCA event, you know, then, then the whole concept was, was even presented to me in my, it, you know, as a possibility that it could happen. Um, and just didn't, you know, the, the rule books are written the way that they are and, and that's all fine. Um, but didn't have anything that fell into that criteria. So it wasn't just, okay, cool. I'll just take this thing and start competing. Um, so that, that, you know, back burners it a bit. Um, and time moves on and, we'd, we'd helped out a couple of different people that were doing some different things at the time. Um, and then I get a call from Dave Cole, of course, and says, <laughs> Hey, I want to, I want to build this Toyota buggy, you know, and you know, I'm going to need some axles. What do you, what do you recommend? You know, what, what would work? What's good. And, and we get to chatting and that kind of thing. And, and uh, pieces of the puzzle happen to fall into place where it's like, you know, I, I need a driver and I feel like I'm a better spotter than a driver you want to drive this car? It's like, sure, I'll go break your chunk. (laughs) (laughs) This will be great. (laughs) And, uh, so the, man, I'm trying to think, I think I would have met Dave face to face prior to globe, but I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. I, I think I met Dave face to face when we were swapping an engine in the dirt parking lot the day before the comp. And that was the first event that, that I drove and it was the first time I'd ever seen the car. Um, so, so so you're, you're testing the, the vehicle and learning what the vehicle can do while you're on course. Yes. Yeah. We, we literally got the engine dropped in. Um, I don't remember what the issue is, but the, I think the old one had thrown a rod. He got it trailered out there last minute, everything, you know, and, uh, you know, show up and it's like, cool, we're, we're putting an engine in the car. <laughs> and, and I knew that going in, you know, you fly on a plane to go work on an engine. And, all right. And there was a little area, there was a little, um, valley right next to the course that we, we had the okay to screw around in a little bit and, and drove over a couple of rocks and, you know, did some front digs in the, in the parking lot there. And that was, I don't know, 30 minutes tops in the seat before, you know, you just start on like, you know, a (laughs) three kind of thing. So yeah, it was, it was learning the car. It was learning communication with Dave, um, dodging cones, (laughs) everything. I mean, communication with Dave. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That, uh, that, that, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. 
<laughs> Everybody that's listening to this that knows Dave is going to be laughing right now. Oh, right, right. You know, the, yeah, I, the first time I met, the first time I can remember talking to Dave or the my first interaction with Dave was in Cedar City. He was, I, I, I hear this yelling. And so I walk <laughs> around the corner and this here's this pretty good sized dude yep. just in my kid's face. Oh, gotcha. And I'm like, okay, what is going on here? So I walk up and I stand between them and I look at, at my son and I said, what is going on? And he explains to me, I turned around and I looked at Dave and I just started laughing. And <laughs> he'll even tell you, I totally vapor locked him. And huh. uh, that I was the first and maybe the only person that ever vapor locked him. And he vapor locked as I walked away and he just went back to competing. And, uh, right. I mean, it was, I didn't, I don't think I said anything except just pointed at him and laughed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't he, think he was uh, used to that. <laughs> probably not. He's, he's a big guy and he, I, I, I wouldn't say gets a bad rap, but the, the bark's much worse than the bite is probably really what it is. He, he get, you know, pissed off on course because something was going wrong and he's yelling in my ear about something and you know it was just kind of like dave what what are we doing you know and he's probably the only person that i know of that i've ever seen visibly get physically red in the face furious pissed off and to cool as a cucumber 20 seconds later you right. know, and I don't, I don't think a lot of people see that. Um, and he doesn't seem like he cools off that quick and that well, but, um, I really didn't have a whole lot of issue with him. It was, you know, on that level, it was more understanding, you know, when he says turn, how much are we turning? You know, what are we trying to do? You know, I, I need a little bump here. And it's like, what's a little bump, you know, um, you know, a lot of the little nuances, um, that, you know, he and I had to figure out, you know, my driving style and his communication style had to merge. Um, and I had to do it when we, you know, when, when I was, uh, competing in F toy, you know, obviously Dave wasn't the spotter and had a different guy spotting then. And, and that was Shane and Shane and I had to figure out, you know, how are we doing this stuff? And we, we literally set up cones on a, you know, flat area and, and, you know, just a clearing and just, let's just drive through the cones. What do you mean when you say this? You know, what do you, what do you to hear when I say this kind of thing? And, and it's like communicating with anybody. You just got to come up with, with what everybody needs and wants and to get everyone on the same page. Right. Yeah. Because one person's just give me a smidge is another person's give me a whole lot. You know, that's yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I need, I need two inches. Well, okay. You know, is that two inches? No, that was six. No, that was a half an inch, you know, and it's, you know, you well know it's, it's kind of hard to judge inches when you're sitting inside a car. Yes. So when we did the event in Henderson, Nevada at the casino. Oh yeah. The world championships. Yep. And we had seven different countries involved in that event. You, you were driving Dave's car at that event, correct? Yes, sir. And 
if I remember, if I recall right, day at that point, you guys had never been on the top of the podium, but at that event, you guys ended up in first place. We did. Yeah. Um, I don't remember how we placed at previous events. I know we needed a third minimum to get into the, the worlds, um, in Boyd at nationals and we pulled off a third there. Um, and that was obviously pretty big for us. Um, and I mean, that was it, you know, Dave and I both talked about, it's like, we need a third, we need third place here. That's what we have to get. Um, but yeah, then we ended up, um, winning worlds in pro mod, which was pretty awesome for sure. That was, that was definitely a highlight. Yeah, that was, that was, that was kind of a cool event. Um, wasn't during SEMA, but it was right after. If it, if anybody's yeah. not familiar with that event, and uh, we used cargo containers, we covered them with carpet, and then sprayed the 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 shotcrete over the top of that, and we had some tractor tires out there. And one thing I learned about tractor tires there is I don't care how powerful the vehicle is how well the how good the traction is if you have a just a a smidgen you know of a little bit of a bolt head sticking out or a screw head and the whole rest of your vehicle the pan is just smooth if that catches on one of those tractor tires it ain't going nowhere Yep. Yeah, I think I remember seeing a few cars getting bellied out on stuff because I think that was one of the issues we had to contend with. Was just, hey, you, we can't sit on this. We we will stop. Correct, because those things were just—I couldn't believe that they were just like huge magnets or something. People yeah. were having such a tr- trouble tr- climbing over those things. Yeah, and we had that car only had it was sixteen or eighteen inches of belly. It was it was a really low belly on that car. It was a, it was a pretty skinny belly, but it was very low. So constantly getting high centered was an issue. Um, and the rear end, um, we only had, uh, you know, we had decent articulation, but of straight down droop out of the rear suspension was gosh, absolute tops four inches. And it was probably more like three. Wow. So, you know, you couldn't get that, that belly on stuff it, it couldn't get off of it and that was before the hydraulic shocks yes yep yeah we were on all air shocks at that time okay and uh what do you what do you remember most about those times competing what was what let's 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 dial that in what was your favorite place to compete at Ooh. That's tough. I, I don't think I've ever thought about that. Um, you know, Cedar we hit, um, which is just a great natural venue. Um, you know, there's so much there. Um, Floyd was a kick just because it was, I mean, you guys built it. So you could make this giant fishbowl thing and, you know, you can see everything. Um and then Vegas was just weird, um, <laughs> which was which was fun in itself, you know. And probably um, your favorite because you guys won that one, became world champions. Yeah, yeah. I would have to go with that, quite honestly. Um, 
I've always, and, and we, I've always said that when somebody tells me, man, that was the best event ever, I said, did you win? And they would go, yeah. And it's like, that's why it was the best event <laughs> That's ever. why it was the best. Honestly, I think Vegas would be not only just for winning, obviously, but the courses that Dave and I did well on, um, and we had, um, I can't even think of his real name. It's Survey Boy, and I can't, and he's another, you know, real small individual like Dave. Right, um, Sean Bootsman. <laughs> there we go. Um, he pointed out something that I hadn't paid attention to, and I don't remember where he where he pointed it out. He said, you know, you guys do really well on the really hard, technical, weird stuff. But he's like, you give you guys something that, that doesn't seem that bad, and that's where you guys have all kinds of problems. Weird things happen. And, and I think that's part of why we did well in Vegas is because Vegas was just – everything was weird. You know, it was – nothing obviously was natural with it um you know the final course was just like a lumpy moon looking landscape you know um which was just a technical tire place and thing i think we tiptoed that thing in like two minutes maybe we had tons of time getting through there um and just but you just happened to hit it just right and as soon as you got off that line you were screwed you know you were done but that's where we did well was that that technical tiptoeing through things, um, you know, or, okay, we, we're going to belly out on this. Cool. Okay, well, the front tires are on it now. Grab a gear and launch the car, smash the belly, and boom, now the rear tires are on it. Cool. We're over that, you know, and now we can get back to it. But it's it's just kind of that tiptoeing technical stuff that we seem to do well at. Interesting. Interesting. And that, that was a, that was a bizarre course. Yeah. You know, we were supposed to be able to go back and we were supposed to be able to use that a number of times and add to it. And, you know, we're going to, our plan was like a five-year plan there. And after we did that event and then we did a women's event and then we did the season opener. So we, I think we did three events there. And then okay. it was taken away from us. Huh. And Didn't they, they end up putting another hotel there or something? Yeah, they they I think they built a bowling alley or something. I don't know. But they, they had this they big old in. plan yeah. to, for development. And it was like, okay, you know, well, all okay, right, we can't use it. And then it sat for like four or five years. And I guess some homeless people moved into the, the cargo containers because we had those so that we could store stuff in them. Um, oh, that's we right. Always had, you know, on each one of those, you, there was one end that was open. Yeah. And uh, people, you know, <laughs> almost found their way into those. And the yeah, security guards in. didn't <laughs> even know it, you know. It's like <laughs> there's homeless people living on the casino property. It's classic. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was interesting staging out of a casino like that, um, you know, with the restaurants and you know, you, you couldn't find staff, you know, I couldn't find where my staff was at. Well, they'd, they'd be in the bar, you know, cause there's like 10 bars you know? yeah. or they'd be gambling yeah. someplace or something, you know, it was like, uh, it was, it was an interesting event there. That's for sure. Yeah. You get some convenience and some headache all together at one. Exactly. So yeah. did you ever race KOH? I did. Um, Basically, the last year that I figured I could, 
um, the race was getting bigger. Um, obviously competing with Dave, I, I talked to him quite a bit and he, he'd called me up and it's like, Hey, I got this idea for this race <laughs> and he kind of lays it out and it's like, Oh man, I, yeah, this is going to be big. And he's like, you really think it, this is going to be something? It's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and I forget the timeline and he may remember it, but I threw it at him is just, uh, you know, I think you're going to have people, um, building cars specifically for this race and it, within three years. And I think I told him, an, a, you know, building an IFS car specifically for the race within five. And the only thing I was wrong on was the time frame. It happened faster. Right. Um, and I, I ran in, Oh, Oh, seven, Oh eight, Oh nine, somewhere in there. I, I honestly don't remember. Um, and that I would have just ran our, you know, the, honestly, the still old F toy buggy I've still got, um, you know, leaf springs, four cylinder, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, and it was a, it was the last year. I, I think it was the last year before he did classes, you know, it was, there was no 4,400. It was just everything, you know, um, and finished the race and was real happy with that. And it was, it really came down to one of those is, is uh, you know, if I'm going to do this, I need to do it sooner than later because it's going to reach a point that I simply can't, you know, there just won't be, it won't be an attainable kind of thing in my mind. Right. Uh, you know, the, the, the cost to get in the door is going to have expanded so much. Um, and, and I went out at the time you still had some people that were going out with the, the mentality of just, Hey, I just want to finish the race. So, you know, my thought at the time was just, you know, someone comes up behind you, you just get out of the way. It doesn't matter what. I mean, they've already passed you anyway. I know I'm not winning. Just get the hell out of the way. And so, I mean, we, <laughs> my, uh, my spotter, which was Shane, um, so co-driver at that time, but he was pretty much just the guy in the passenger seat that got pummeled along with me. Um, but, uh, you know, it, he's got the rear view mirror that he's looking at. It's like, all right, hey, someone's coming up. It's like, cool. We're just moving over. Just get out of the way. We're we're leaf springs. Like we're not anybody interesting, you know, but, uh, you know, and I remember some of the sweetest moments from that were the, you know, pre-running before like two days before and literally had a, a couple of guys, you know, like you're racing that and laughing at you. And it's like, look, I'm not trying to win. I'm just trying to finish, you know? And, uh, so it was fun passing their broken down junk on the, on the side of the trail, you know? And, uh, and cruising past some other guys with broken junk. And it's like, here I am bouncing along in my leaf springs, you know? And so, and some of them were great guys, you know, ran into, um, Jeff Knoll that I competed with, of course, with We Rock, um, and ran into him and he gave me a little spotting tip as we were coming down wrecking ball, I think. <laughs> and he's like, man, I'm out, I'm done. He, I, he flipped it, I think, and, and flooded the engine or something. And he was, he was out. Um, but, uh, you know, you still beat 60% of the cars cause you crossed the finish line. It's like, um, you know, all the money in the world doesn't keep your car together. And we didn't have, we'd broken a, a front hard line for the brakes in the first, I don't know, 20 miles. So we had rear brakes for most of the race only. And, uh, but we finished. So that was really all that mattered to me. Right. So, the races, that race has always had a really high attrition rate. It has. Um, and I know Dave likes it that way. And I, 
I know a lot of people get upset about that kind of stuff, but it really comes down to if, if too many people are finishing the race is is too easy. The cars keep getting better. It's, it's the same kind of thing. I guess I see with, with guys, um, quote, moving up in classes, right? Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of my 4,600 car. I'm going to get into a, into this or that, or it's going to be better and cooler and faster. And it's like, yeah, the, you do realize the ride inside the car is the same. You're just going faster, right? Right. It, it, you're still can only drive so fast and it's not smooth. It's smooth at slower speeds. So that, you know, that Toyota pickup at 20 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour. Yeah. You, you know, that's all it can do. You know, you jump into, you know, like Shannon's car and you're doing a hundred and something yet the ride inside the car is about the same. You're just going a lot faster to get there. <laughs> you know, so you're back I'm not in saying pit that's a, drinking a beer before everybody else. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Just, you know, for me, I, I get concerned. Um, and it's kind of why I, I pulled out of we rock, um, was the, the road trips to and from events. Um, you know, we were running ragged, you know, you'd be coming back from events and, you know, we're not necessarily falling asleep at the wheel, but we're beat, we're tired, we're exhausted, you know, and you've got, you know, when it's like sweet cedar, you know, it's, it's only 600 miles away. It's great. You know, this is a quick, easy one, you know, and then you've got ones in, uh, wherever that, what was that place? That's just hotter than hell or North of Sacramento. Oh, um, Oroville. <laughs> yeah. See, <laughs> Um, you know, you straight shot that from, from Colorado, you know, there and back, that's, that's a rough drive. That's a lot of of wheel time. And quite honestly, I just figured, you know, we're going to, we're going to end up having a problem on the road at some point, you know, we just can't keep running at this, at this pace and doing this. Um, and the courses naturally have to get harder. And one of the ways that you make them harder is, is some of the exposure and some of the, the penalties for screwing up. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of looked at that and said, you know, at some point, you know, you, you play with fire enough, you're going to get burned and it's how bad do you get burned? And I said, you know, we've, we've done this, we've done well, you know, really well in a very short amount of time, which was pretty awesome. Really, you know, we really are very happy with that. Um, and said, you know, why don't we just, we'll bow out now, you know? Um, so it was a, a pretty quick, short instance in the, in the racing world for us, but, uh, it, uh, I'm happy that I did it. I'm happy I stopped doing it. So excellent. I, I miss it, but yeah, not, not enough to jump back in, I guess. <laughs> so what is in the future for front range diamond axle and Brian? Oh, that's a, that's a big question, Rich. What are, you know, what are your, what are your aspirations? Sure. Um, yeah, really, we're just working to get business running, running smoother. And, um, you know, I think that's a constant goal, I guess, of any business, but, um, we've got a few bumps of, of, you know, getting some new products that we're working on and getting out there. Um, and, working on building up inventory. So we've got, you know, the stuff that we do do, we're keeping on the shelf, which has been certainly a trick the last couple of years with simply with demand and supply chain weirdness. Um, so 
but uh you know that's that's probably the business's general goal um and my own personal stuff yeah looking to to get out a bit more and travel a bit more so the the wife and the kid and i have been able to to jump out on a couple of international trips in the last couple of years and those have been you know really nice really fun um totally unrelated to anything in the the world that we normally deal with so um, so where have you gone uh we got out to the caribbean um i guess it was 2019 and then of course we were shut down um with covid stuff for a couple of years and then we just got out to costa rica what part of costa rica did you go to uh gosh guanacost i want to say uh it's the kind of the northwestern part of the country okay um so yeah everything from you know rainforest cloud forest which i didn't know existed um and of course ocean and and um some drier climate in there as well but you know it's it's the the more desert areas more south from where we were right we we uh we've been to costa rica a couple of times we always end up in capos which is the um southwest corner okay and that's uh the the time we went there twice in one year we wow. went yeah we we met some friends um some people that became friends on the rebel rally and Samantha okay. said, you guys need to come on out and visit. And Shelly's like, yeah, okay, uh-huh. You know, thinking, you know, get invited. And she goes, no, I'm on. I'm serious. Like, fly out next week. And <laughs> Shelly looks at her and goes, well, I can't come next week, but uh, probably the week after that. So <laughs> we ended up, it was, I think we went after SEMA. And we went out for, oh, I think it was like 16, 18 days. And then we were there. Um, they, we were offered, do you guys want to come back and, and be here through, you know, Christmas through new year, because we're, you know, we need somebody to house sit. And, uh, if you're available, you know, you can come back. Nice. Well, and that was, that was the rainy season when we were there for those, you know, 18 days and we went wheeling and, you know, it rained a lot, you know, for like every morning, every afternoon, you know, with Mm -hmm. periods of sunshine in between. And I mean, it rained a lot. I mean, yeah. know, it wasn't wasn't like what I'm used to. Although Northern California right now, the last couple of weeks, the rains that we've had have been like that deluges, you know, just <laughs> pouring and nonstop. Sure. Well, that's what uh, that's what Capos was like when we were there. And so we said, yeah, we'll come back. You know, this time we get the house. You know, they're they're off doing their thing up in, you know, visiting family up in the in the states, and so we're. We're down there. Friends come down with us, and we spend another like sixteen days. And there's three weeks in between our two visits, right? And oh, now okay. we're now we're in the dry season. Yeah, and I mean it was like flip a switch. And even though it wasn't to me, I wouldn't have called it the dry season because it still rained. It just wasn't the rain wasn't like as heavy. Oh, so the sure. rivers weren't yeah. flooding. They were just running, you know, that kind right. of thing. But uh, I I really liked the people in Costa Rica. I liked the uh, – it was just the, the attitude of everybody there, you know, the, the, the whole pure life 
mentality and uh it's kind of a cool place yeah we definitely had a good time um i mean we tend to we tend to pack light we don't do the you know um resort kind of thing at all you know the my wife will dig up and find airbnbs here in different places so we were there for 10 days and stayed in three different places perfect um you know and you rent a car and which I'm sure you were doing while you were down there yes. and the driving rather for, for a very friendly group of people. They're uh, not so friendly drivers. It seems, they, <laughs> but I don't uh, think they have driving laws. Everything is merely a suggestion. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how many times I watched, you know, people just not even slow down zinging through stop signs. And it's like, there, there's an officer in a vehicle sitting right there, just watched you do it. He doesn't, care <laughs> yeah it's like okay and, and everybody uh, with a motorcycle i mean and they're all like like honda 70s oh yeah. you know that kind of thing and oh yeah you know, little trail bosses or whatever they called them and they're just zipping in and out of traffic like you know barefooted oh yeah you know yeah well and crazy. you're on a road that's a lane and a half wide with cars going either direction and they're just weaving their way through <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know that that definitely took a day or two of, of trying to adjust my nerves just to be able to to deal with that. But it uh yeah, it's definitely a different a different pace of life, different different attitude. Um you know, and uh you know, we we tried at at both of these trips, you know, we try to to involve ourselves in the culture. You right. know, it's it's I'm an American visiting, yes, but I'm going to be the most polite American you've ever met because I'm effectively representing a country when I'm coming to visit. Um, so we, you know, we're doing a terrible job, but we're trying to to learn some Spanish, and so you know we're trying to to order in Spanish if we went to a restaurant, and you know, thank yous in Spanish and things like this, and and uh, so. And a lot of people spoke English as well, but it was, you definitely had a, um, I guess just a vibrant culture, just, just wonderful people to, to be around and, and that kind of thing. So, and that's what we found in the Caribbean as well, you know, similar kind of thing. So, so. what other, what other places are on your, your hit list to go? Uh, right now what's, what's kind of been poking my interest is, uh, going and hiking Kilimanjaro. Oh, so, and the, the wife's out on that one. She's like, yeah, you, you go have fun. <laughs> I'm, I'm I would not have doing... to say the same thing. <laughs> so I, uh, I started looking into that here a couple of weeks ago. Um, but, uh, other than that, I've, I've got a, a friend of mine, uh, back from Boy Scout era that, uh, poked him a little bit on doing a, a backpacking trip that would be Another one of those that the wife's like, yeah, you, you go have fun. I'm not, I'm not having anything to do with that. And it's even, he looked at it and I'm looking at it, you know, going, but it's, it's like 70 miles in about seven days. Um, so you, you know, in the Sierras and you, so you're definitely covering some ground. Um, right. so he's like, yeah, I don't know if I'm in shape to do that. I said, I don't know that I am either, <laughs> but <laughs> if we schedule sure this and we make a helped. deadline, then, you know, it's like, you got to do it. And for that, it's a, it's a through. So there's, you, you, you can't go back. There's nothing to go. There's not just turn around and, and, oh, well, oops. Like, no, you're, you're going through. <laughs> so, but, uh, so yeah, I've been, been looking at a, a bit of that. I've always, you know, been, 
been very interested in um you know the the climbing and that kind of thing and when i was younger i was more interested in everest and and that's just become less of a priority for me by a long shot um just it's it's certainly not easy but i feel like it's gotten too popular right. and i'd rather go to somewhere that's much less popular um so my daughter and i and and the wife a little bit we've hit um a number of the the 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado here and uh, so still still chewing away on those um so awesome but, what we want yeah. to do is we want to go we want to visit all the lands so oh, okay you know think of anything that ends in land like Iceland mm. Greenland England sure. Scotland Ireland right right you know i mean you know, we're that's a bit Thailand. I mean, yeah, there's there's quite a few, um, and so that's uh, that's that's kind of going to be our, I think, our goal once we start being able to travel again. Sure. Yeah, things have opened up pretty good more recently for sure. I know when we were in Costa Rica, they um, we went in November, um, which was the transition time, so we got the rain as well as the dry. And, um, so we went tubing down a river, which was like class three rapids and nothing you'd be able to do in the U S cause it's like, okay, here's your tube and you sit in it, you know, it's a little, you know, four foot diameter tube, you sit in it. And now we're going to just huck you down a river. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, uh, that because was pretty if they awesome. lose you in, in, in Costa Rica. They're not worried about it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's kind of, you know, the lawyers that have a field day with something like that here, you know, um, and the water was, was ripping. Um, but, uh, it, uh, I don't know, just, it's a different kind of thing, I guess, but I know we've got a couple axles actually cruising around in Iceland. So I've been looking at, at heading up there for a little bit. I've always liked that. It's gotten a lure to it, I guess that country does. So I've I've wanted to get up there and I've had a couple of very, very friendly customers. Oh, definitely. Please come up here. You know, we'll show you around and all this kind of thing. And, uh, Man, now that things are opening up again, I think we might need to start, you know, reaching out a little bit and figure out, you know, when's a good time to go and where do you go and and you know, we want to know some of the history and and that kind of thing, but but get me the heck out of the cities, you know, uh, as quick as you can, you know, let's let's get out of here, hang out for a day or two or something, and and get out, you know. Right. That's what we did in, when we went to Australia. We went in, flew into Sydney. Um, spent some time there because of the, uh, there was an off-road, big off-road show. And it was also the We Rock Australia finals there. So oh, okay. we went to the fairgrounds or raceway where they had this, uh, they had a man-made course set up and, you know, this big, big off-road show. And then after that, we spent one more day in in the city on the way back in. But after, you know, the rest of it, we were in an old uh, 110 Land Rover and with a rooftop tent and everything we needed. And we just spent, you know, went up through the bush and then down the coastline and just had a great time. I mean, it was too short. I mean, I think we did 20 days or something like that. And I told Shelly, next time we go back, it's got to be six months. Oh, wow. We don't have the six months right now, so that'll be right. in the future. But it's still on the uh, it's still on the agenda. Sure, sure, yeah, and that's 
I've definitely got a few places that, you know, I've wanted to get up to Alaska for a minute and everyone I've talked to that that's been up there is, you know, everyone says, yeah, you need two weeks at a, at a minimum. You're not going to see much of anything. If you try to come up for a, you know, a week, you're, Correct. you're just going to be going, man, I, I saw this and I saw that, but I missed all of this. Cause I mean, it, the, the state's enormous, obviously, you know, True. and access isn't necessarily the easiest. So there's definitely a bit of that, but, uh, yeah, it's, well, cool. Definitely the traveling is on the on the list. Yes. All right. Cool. Well, Brian, I want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing your life with us and, uh, you know, how you built the business and how everything got to where they're at and what's in the future for you and the family. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Rich. It was a, it was a pleasure and glad to, to catch up with you a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen you face to face in a minute, so... Yeah, we'll we'll have to we're going to be doing some traveling here in the next year or so. Get that started again, and when we do, we'll have to make a a trip by and say hello. Absolutely, please do. All right. Will you take care? And again, thank you. All right, thank you, Rich. Okay, bye bye. Well, that's another episode of Conversations with Big Rich. I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you could do us a favor and uh, leave us a review on any podcast service that you happen to be listening on, or send us an email or a text message or a Facebook message, and let me know uh, any ideas that you have, or if there's anybody that you have that you think would be a great guest, please forward the contact information to me so that we can uh, try to get them on. And always remember, live life to the fullest. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and live life with all the gusto you can. Thank you.